Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling the story of Northwest Airlines Flight 305, the story of D.B. Cooper. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Mariah, I'm so excited about this story. I'm very excited to hear it. There's so much story. Everybody who's listening right now knows how long it is, but we don't know because we're in the past. <laughs> but but I have 11 pages of notes. Wonderful. So you told me that you were not familiar. I like half spoiled this one because I thought you'd be maybe possibly familiar with this one. Maybe it'll ring a bell once we get started. But mm. um, yes, very exciting. So yeah, so we're telling the story of uh, Northwest Flight 305. Uh, we're going back to 1971, baby. You know what that means. Smoking on planes. Smoking on planes. And it will come up, of course, because because if you have cigarettes on planes, it's going to matter. Yeah. <laughs> so... There's a reason they don't let you anymore. Yep. Not a good reason, but no. reason. So, <laughs> um, and uh, it's November 24th. So it's the day before Thanksgiving. It's Bri's birthday. Um, it's Bri's birthday. Happy birthday, Bri Bri. What a day. Yes. His birthday is a great celebration. Of yeah. Yes. Brian was born November 24th, 1971. <laughs> 1970. <laughs> he is as yes. old as my father. No. Yes. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> Your Which is very father. young. <laughs> Your tiny baby dad. Which is very young. Uh, but um, we have a Boeing 727, which is, a, I, I think, a very, very cool looking plane. Yeah. Just very attractive. It's got the, um, like, the engine on the tail. Very attractive. Oh, okay. Um, it's got some, yeah, some, like, interesting little features. It has a... Uh, an aft stairway so it has um like a like a from like the belly the belly of the plane has its own like stair that pulls down that's very cool. cool Very cool. And uh, on our flight today, because it's 1971 and flying is so incredibly expensive, uh, we've only got 42 people on board, uh, three pilots, three flight attendants, 36 people. Wow. So very, yeah, luxury. Um, I love thinking that like a 727 needed three pilots. It's just, it's great. (laughs) Golden age. So, uh, yeah, um, the flight is going from Portland to Seattle, which is 30 minutes. Bing, bam, boom. People. Yeah. Like rich people going for Thanksgiving, I guess. Right. So, um, our, uh, we've got captain Scott, uh, first officer, Bob, flight engineer, Harold, and then our (laughs) flight attendants are actually going to be, uh, people on this one now there are three flight attendants what's the third flight attendant's name i don't know i don't know couldn't find it hmm. couldn't find it only found two other names don't know why uh, but we've got tina yeah i i don't know she never tina signed any of the consent forms <laughs> i guess right <laughs> she was like i want to maintain my privacy yeah. <laughs> so we've got we can call her sarah i don't know but yeah. we've got <laughs> tina florence and sarah maybe great we'll change her name <laughs> so, every time yeah <laughs> so mary you know yeah. um but uh so 30 30 minutes bing bang boom nothing's gonna happen we're good uh shortly before takeoff um 
a guy walks into the airport and it's 1971. So like 10 minutes before takeoff, a dude with just a briefcase and no ID walks in, pays cash for a ticket and gets a ticket. Wonderful. Just writes his name. Dan Cooper writes his name and uh, hands them money and then walks onto the plane because it's 1971, baby. Smoking all the way, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, sits down. This is, you know, a time of luxury. So um, Gertrude, Florence, and Tina are handing out drinks before the flight even takes off. Uh, our boy Dan Cooper gets a bourbon and Coke, which sounds uh gross but drinkable to right. me does that sound good to you <laughs> like, bourbon? I, don't, I don't know it's like a whiskey and coke, jack daniels and coke yeah kind of i guess worse, but different right? yeah worse exactly yeah which is just a rum and coke but worse right which yeah we could keep going on about everything <laughs> being better <laughs> but so uh he sits down lights up his smokes uh this is a time i know i've said this before but i think it's so cool where they would give you like a little travel pack of cigarettes on the plane wow like, in what case a you forgot time to, to be smokes. alive so like here's my yeah i wish i wish if anybody wants to give us like if anyone in the universe has a tiny travel pack of cigarettes from like a plane from like an airline we will put it in the pod crash museum we will and it just it would be how cool would that be or even just the box i don't know yeah (laughs) but um we just need we really need to get to be friends with like a hoarder but anyway um so everybody gets their drinks, they get their smokes. Our boy Dan is all the way in the back, very, very back of the plane, um, in the smoking section, I guess. And uh, we're ready to roll, right? It's kind of rainy, whatevs. Uh, it's like three-ish in the afternoon, we take off into the air, right? And this flight is going to be like up, down, right? Nothing. Uh, plane takes off, and uh, not that long after takeoff... Uh, as the flight attendants are starting to get up because everyone's going to need another drink. I mean, you can't leave them hanging, even though it's a 30 minute (laughs) flight. Flight attendants are getting up so that they can hand out drinks. Um, And our girl, Tina, is all the way in the back. She's in the rear, um, the jump seat in the back of the plane. Right. And she gets up and um, as she's getting up, she's because Dan is all the way in the back and she's all the way in the back. He's right there when she stands up and he hands her a note. And uh, Tina is a flight attendant in the 70s. So Tina knows what this note is, knows this dude's phone number or something dirty or whatever. And she goes like, haha, thanks and sticks it in her pocket. And Dan goes, Miss, I actually need you to read that because I have a bomb. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Mood, mood changes yeah right so tina s- sits down actually drops the note in her like fear right drops the note sits down next to him he pops open his briefcase and very quickly opens it shows her and shuts it inside she gets just a flash of what looks like eight sticks of dynamite and a battery, like an ignition battery. Closes it back up, snaps down. Uh, Tina gets Florence's attention. Florence comes over. So Tina's sitting next to this passenger. That's not normal, right? Uh, She asks Florence to pick up the note 
and uh, Florence picks up the note, opens it up, and it reads, um, Miss, I have a bomb. Like, this is a hijacking. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and there's so many notes. I didn't write down what the note said. But Miss. it says, it says like, you know, like, don't make a panic. Uh, we're doing this, right? So Florence goes like, okay, folds the note back up and uh, walks up to the cockpit to let the pilots know. Uh, Tina, who's still sitting next to him, he tells her to stay put. She turns around, grabs the phone that they have back there to talk to the cockpit, takes the phone off the hook. And so now she can speak directly to the pilots and like communicate directly between the two of them. Nobody on the plane knows that anything is wrong. Right. Oh. So this is a very quiet hijacking. Yes, so the passengers very yeah, discreet. <laughs> the the hijacking yes. of gentlemen. But yes. um so uh Florence is up there letting the pilots know like, uh oh, there's a bomb on board. It's the seventies, so we didn't know until now. And uh <laughs> so <laughs> Tina is back there with him and she relays the his demands to the uh, pilots. Um, his demands are $200,000. He specifies in uh, $10,020 uh, bills. Uh, he wants four parachutes, two rear, two back parachutes and two front parachutes. And he wants, actually look at the notes I've made. Oh, and he wants there to be a fuel truck waiting for them on the tarmac when they get to Seattle. So okay. uh, he, and he says no funny stuff, which is kind of like a fun thing to say if you're <laughs> right. terrifying people, right? No funny stuff. So uh, he makes his demands. Uh, he says, uh, if you don't do this, I'll do the job. Another funny thing to say. This guy's got his charms. <laughs> uh, so... Florence communicates with the pilots. Our girl, Natalie, is just giving everybody drinks. She's just doing her job. <laughs> she's probably wondering why the other ones... I assume they tell her at some point, but right. she's just handed out drinks to everybody, keeping the mood light. Um, and uh, so the pilots uh, call Seattle and says, like, hey, guys, it's the 70s. We're having a hijacking. Um, these are the demands. $200,000 four parachutes um guys got a bomb uh have a fuel truck ready assuming they're gonna take off once they arrive right so uh the officials right like snap into action i i know that so today hijackings are way scarier in our like collective consciousness yeah. because of that one really bad hijacking um but at this time hijackings were actually a pretty common and be almost never ended in any kind of death. So the, the general mood around a hijacking was just give the person what they want uh, and then catch them afterwards. Same with bank robberies. You know what I mean? Nobody right. usually gets killed in bank robberies anymore. Thank God, because they just give them the money and then they catch them afterwards. Right. So uh, in Seattle, everybody snaps into action. Uh, the Seattle 
uh, like savings and loan or whatever, they have a ransom bag ready for just this occasion where they have a bag with $250,000 in it where they've recorded all of the serial numbers, right? Wow. To help catch right. the person afterwards. And I'm just going to say the bag had $250,000 and he asked for 200000 which means they took $50,000 out of it. And like, <laughs> Reach for the stars, kids. Right, like, right. Don't, don't like know your worth. Like he, he like got himself out of fifty thousand dollars. He yes. should have like asked for more. Right. So, anyway, so, so they take fifty thousand dollars out of their go bag of money and bring it over to the airport. They have a local. Um, like flight school that has uh, parachutes. Uh, the FBI debates like, hey, maybe we could sabotage the parachutes to like get him faster, I guess. But they do the math. The guy asked for four, so he might take a hostage. And if he takes a hostage and you sabotage the parachutes, then uh, you killed an innocent person, right? Who didn't need to die. Um, and there's like no reason to kill this guy. It's just money. But anyway, we can have differences of opinions <laughs> with that. But right. um, so the um, so they don't sabotage his parachutes, um, but they gather them in such a hurry that one of the parachutes they grab is like a dummy parachute that's for training yeah. and doesn't actually work like a normal parachute. But by the time they notice, it's just like, well, maybe he won't notice. Right. <laughs> so they, uh, while they're gathering all this stuff, again, this is a 30 minute flight. This is really, really fast, um, but they don't want to land until everything's ready. So they actually are in a holding pattern over Seattle for an hour and a half, just like flying around Seattle. Right. And the passengers who don't know there's a hijacking are like, what's taking so long? Like, it's Thanksgiving. And Dan is like... um, getting really impatient, right? He's like, what's the holdup? Like, let's, you know, he's obviously nervous because he's committing a crime. And uh, he actually mentions a couple things because he's talking to Tina the whole time. He's not letting Tina go. Tina's next to him. And he uh, mentions that there's a nearby military base, like an Air Force base nearby. And he says, well, if they're having a hard time landing here, they could land there. And that's like the first clue, like... Why does he know there's a military base there, right? Right. So by the time they land, it's it's the end of November. It's already dark. So they land around 530. Uh, the plane taxis way out, like far away from everything else at like a really remote part of the tarmac. Um, they send, uh, uh, they don't let any of the passengers off yet. Well, theoretically, Dan's not letting them, of them off, right? Um, they, uh, Florence goes out gets the money, like the bag of money, the four parachutes, and she gets back onto the plane, brings it back to Dan, uh, hands him the stuff, and then he lets all of the passengers off, which is pretty much when most of the passengers found out anything was even happening, let all the passengers off and let uh, Florence and Agatha (laughs) off the plane, keeps Tina. So he keeps all three pilots, and Tina on the plane. So there's five souls on board now. Hmm. Uh, now he wants to fuel up and go. That's what he wants to happen, right? Um, but they, it takes a really long time. They say it's complications in fueling. 
feeling's not that complicated. So <laughs> I don't know if that's them stalling for time or if something actually was wrong with like the fuel truck or, you know, what was going on there. But they actually sit on the tarmac for a long time. And as they're sitting there, uh, Dan is getting like more agitated, right? So he's getting more and more agitated. He says, I want you to fill the plane up and I want to go to Mexico City. He explains, so his demands now, all the passengers are off, but he's still got the plane, he's still got the bomb, he's still got four people, right? He says, I want to fly direct to Mexico City. I want us to fly at 10,000 feet with the aft stairway down and the landing gear down and the flaps at 15 degrees. So he wants the plane to be flying at, you know, very low altitude uh, with all this stuff out, right? Oh flaps retract, uh, like a flaps extended, stairway just open and uh, the landing gear down. And Scott's like, okay, bud, but the thing is uh, the plane can't do that, right? So A, you can't take off with the stairway down. That's not going to happen. Right. The plane can fly with it down, but you can't take off with it down. Right. A B, if you're in that configuration, we're not going to make it all the way to Mexico City on one tank of gas. Like, it's just not possible. The plane can't do that because you have so much more resistance flying with that configuration. So they like argue about different places where they could refuel between Seattle and Mexico City, they go back and forth. Finally, they land on Reno. So they're going to fly from Seattle to Reno to Mexico City, all in this weird configuration. Um, the pilots ask the hijacker, what route do you want us to take then to Reno, right? And he's like, I don't care. Like, you pick. It doesn't matter to me. That's another thing that's weird because he's he he's like... A, not he specified the final destination and how the plane needs to like look as it flying through the air but nothing about the specific route so the pilots themselves are going to choose how they get there you know what what when they turn what direction they go in you know so after sitting on the tarmac for two more hours they're finally ready to go uh, planes fueled up. They know where they're going. The pilots are going to choose the route. They lift up the uh, aft stairwell, right? And uh, Tina, uh, Dan takes Tina, sits her down next to him again, right? <laughs> and uh, the the five of them take off again back into the air, which is again kind of a funny thing because I that, that just would not happen now that plane right. would not get back into the air right um they take off they do have two um military fighter jets who are flying alongside them escorting them uh but besides that they're gonna let it happen right so they take off uh as really not long at all after they're in the air and at that ten thousand. Uh, feet altitude. Uh, Dan asked Tina to show him how to retract the stairwell, right? Uh, she shows him how to do it. And he tells her, okay, uh, give me the note back that I gave you. Um, so he takes the note back and keeps it. Uh, and he says, now I want you to go into the cockpit and I'm not to be disturbed again. 
And she goes, okay. And she walks up to the front of the plane, goes into the cockpit, turns, locks the door behind her. And so now the four of the three pilots and Tina are just sitting in the cockpit. Um, and that's the last she saw of him. Whoa. A few minutes later, the pilots uh, called on the intercom and said, do you need anything? Which, again, great service, Northwest. Like, right. So sweet of you to ask. <laughs> um, he said, he answered back, nope. Um, and he let the, at some point, he let the uh, stairwell down. And about 20 minutes after they asked... Uh, do you need anything? And he said, no, they felt an oscillation, like a little vibration, a little oscillation. Mm. Um, but besides that, they didn't really feel anything. They flew all the way to Reno, landed in Reno with the stairway down, <laughs> uh, dragged that along the ground. Jeez. And when they, op- when they opened the door, he was gone. Wow. Gone. So, he left behind two of the parachutes. Uh, he took the dummy chute and uh, one of the chutes that he presumably used, took the money, left uh, his cigarette butts, Perfect. left his uh, clip-on tie, which loved the efficiency, right. um, and took everything else with him. So now it's on. Right. So now uh, that they landed there around 1030 at night, it's raining, it's freezing, it's like the weather is terrible, it's dark. So the FBI, the local authorities, everybody got together. And as soon as the sun rose the next day, they got to looking for him. Right. They thought they would find him fairly easily. Right. When people realized he had jumped somewhere right into the darkness into the rain into the nothingness right when the, when they found out that he had jumped at some point into these horrendous conditions for parachuting they pretty much assumed they were going to they were looking for his body right you know they they just thought that they would find it if you imagine like um they tracked where the plane was when they felt that oscillation because their assumption was that as he walked down the stairwell and then actually like the act of him jumping off of it that's what Mm. they thought made that oscillation right so they tracked where the plane would have been at that point and then they tracked like where the parachute could have landed if that's when he jumped which is a very wide area but that's where they focused their efforts right uh and that area was not a great place to jump out of a plane into the darkness it was like the forested mountains of the pacific northwest (laughs) right so he they have helicopters they have planes they've got people on the ground they've got dogs they've got all that stuff and they're looking for unfortunately like a guy who's you know alive or dead hanging from a parachute stuck in a tree you know what i mean right uh and they don't find anything oh my god they look and they look and they look and they look this is a massive manhunt this is all over the papers everybody is like you know following it there's volunteers there's just this huge huge effort that's uh like headed up by the fbi because the fbi 
you had a bank robbery, you got crossed the state lines, you, this is the FBI's turf, right? right? So this massive, massive search effort, and they don't find anything wow. for months and months. Then it gets into winter, freezing, freezing cold. They haven't found anything. They haven't found money. They haven't found shoots. They haven't found clothes. They haven't found anything. And so as it got into winter, they had to basically stop searching for his like physical location within this area and turn their attention to like, well, who is this guy? Wow. Right. Cause right off the bat, Dan Cooper is not his real name. No. <laughs> now there's a little thing. This guy is almost always referred to as D.B. Cooper. So if you want to learn more about this or if you want to watch, you know, there's millions of videos about this, tons of stuff, right? Lots of books written. Uh, D.B. Cooper is what you'd want to search. So that was just a mistake that was made really early on in the press. The one of the um, uh, investigators, one of the FBI agents had the first initials D.B. and it just got like crossed. Oh, no. So gotcha. And it, it. Yeah. And it didn't matter anyway, because right. his name wasn't Dan. It wasn't DB. It wasn't anything. <laughs> right. right. So uh, so they're looking for this guy. And one of the things that they would have expected is somebody if he died, which, again, is is their first assumption. It's their best guess. If he died, somebody should have reported him missing. Right. right? Somebody if somebody dies somebody knows about it right they didn't hear anything nothing right so they are trying to figure out who this guy is where he is uh they published all of the serial numbers right because i mean i say all the serial numbers it was like a range right from like serial number this like they were in order so any serial number between this one and this one they handed those out to um like every bank in the country they just thought you know at some point if if he's alive or if somebody just finds the money right if like there's a camper who walks by and there's like a a dead body a parachute and two hundred thousand dollars you know they're gonna grab the money or whatever right so uh they don't nobody hands in the money nothing nothing no money no man no missing guy just nowhere right nowhere vanished into the darkness just gone they don't find anything they don't hear anything Hmm. they have nothing nada nothing 10 years later 10 years later oh my God. a little boy named brian little baby boy brian is camping with his dad on tina bar which is a little like beach like a little sandy beach yeah. on a, a river riverside beach in the pacific northwest and he's building a campfire with his dad having a great time and uh you know it's it's 1980 love it and uh he's gathering sticks and wood and he's like pulling wood out of the sand and digs up five thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars whoa of yeah, of rotting money, right? So three bundles of money all starting to degrade, still rubber banded, but like loose. Uh, and pulls out this rotting money 
And his parents are like, oh, man, maybe it's that guy. Remember that thing that happened? They call the FBI. The FBI takes the money and like, sure as hell, it, yeah, it's, it's some of the money. Okay. But this doesn't answer anything. This just adds more questions right. because this place, so Tina Bar, right? If you look on a map, there is, so I know I always tell everyone to bring out their mental maps, but I don't <laughs> expect you to have a map of this area, right? But if you imagine, if you create a map in your mind using these directions, so there's this, this spot, Tina Bar, isn't incredibly far from what they assumed the drop zone was, right? It wasn't it wasn't that far away. Um, but, and if you look at it, you might think, oh, well, maybe the, the, the money like flowed down this river from the, uh, the drop zone, which is slightly North East of where the money was found on Tina bar. Um, but the river runs the opposite way. Wow. The money was found upstream from what they assumed the drop zone was. So now they think, okay, well maybe the, I mean, we had to be wrong about the drop zone, which if they're wrong about the drop zone, then they have nothing to go on. Right. Right. If it wasn't where they felt that oscillation, theoretically it could be anywhere between Seattle and Reno, but here's the money, not that far from the drop zone, but they didn't find where they found the money wasn't underneath the flight path. So even more questions. Plus they don't find any other money. They just find these three little bundles of money. Plus weirdest part to me. So it wasn't in a bag or anything. It was just loose. And the rubber bands were still intact. Those rubber bands degrade in less than a year in water or in the elements, these rubber bands are not like heavy duty, like whatever plastic infused rubber bands, the rubber bands rot in less than a year. This was 10 years later, the money is rotting, the rubber bands are fine. So what the hell is up with this money? Yeah, that's weird. It's so weird. And it is to this day, the only money of that $200,000 that's ever been found. Whoa. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. I don't know what's up with that. I don't so know. It's you're, just never knows. circulated back into a bank. It's never circulated back into That's a bank. That's crazy. Right. And now it would be even more noticeable, right? So right. like whenever they changed, like you and I remember when they changed the bills mm-hmm. to like the new look or whatever. So old bills are even more noticeable plus banks destroy those when they get them anyway because right. they're trying to take them out of circulation so they're definitely getting checked that money besides that five grand never no money wow. ever so no answers <laughs> just nothing from that okay so it brings us back to that question again like did he survive right we don't know who he was. We don't know if he survived. We don't know anything, right? So um, how would he have survived, right? That's part of the question. Just literally how could a person survive that? He did have a parachute. And if we don't know where he jumped, and that really 
makes it really hard to tell where, you know, whatever. But if you presume that he did jump somewhere in that general area, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, the weather was very poor. It was very cold. When he asked for his, like when he gave his demands, he could have asked for like a coat. He could have asked for boots. He could have asked for like a whole paratrooper outfit, right? He could have asked for food, water, anything. He didn't ask for anything like that. The man was in a suit, like regular dress shoes, briefcase, right? big sack of money, right? Uh, Another thing that's weird is, so there's, they gave him four parachutes, right? One of them is a dummy parachute. And he took that one with him. Uh, Two of them were like, fancy luxury like uh parachutes for skydivers and one of them was a military unsteerable emergency parachute so the kind of parachute that you would you know get if you were like ejecting from like an emergency parachute for the military and that's the one he took so he took the one that he couldn't steer so he wouldn't have had any control right over where he landed and he couldn't see where he was going to land anyway right some people the like weird combination of like very thought out and not thought out at all is very confounding here right so he the um the parachute that he used is like a point of contention, right? So, okay, worst case scenario, he's dumb. Just dumb guy, doesn't know right. anything about parachutes, don't know why I thought this would work. Took the dummy shoot, didn't even know it was a dummy shoot, took the bad parachute, whatever, right? Dumb. On the other end of the extreme would be he was in the military mm. and took, or like formerly in the military, right? We're still in Vietnam at this point. Um, he took so this he would have been the age so they guessed his age in his 40s which would make him the right age to have been in world war ii if he had been a soldier Mm -hmm. right so some people thought well maybe he was a paratrooper or somehow in the military in world war ii that was the parachute he was familiar with that was the one he was comfortable using and maybe he used the dummy chute to store the money basically to make it like a backpack right um but he could have asked for a backpack like you know it's really weird it's really 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 very bizarre uh yeah it makes no sense so uh maybe the military right that's one of the theories maybe he's a military guy another theory that i think is i don't take that seriously but some people said like well maybe he's cia a because Hmm. like I'm a good comrade. I love blaming the CIA for stuff. <laughs> yes. But like basically just because a, the CIA is like mysterious or whatever, right. but also because the CIA actually used seven two sevens to oh, drop wow. people into Vietnam. Oh, wow. Which is all like, that's all happening right now. This is, right. you know, 1971. So maybe he was like familiar with that, or maybe it's just a coincidence because that's the kind of plane um they interviewed the crew about him obviously and they all pretty much said the same thing he was calm they didn't notice an accent yeah. uh he dark dark eyes dark hair somewhere between five nine and six foot he was sitting most of the time for our 
metric users, that's between <laughs> one and two meters. <laughs> um, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but um, that's disrespectful. He, between one and two. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> he is between one and two up. meters, isn't he? Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> You're technically right. Aren't, You're very right. Aren't we all? Aren't we all between one and two meters? But he, um, the, <laughs> uh, so, so I don't know about the CIA thing. I think it, uh, whatever. Well, People I, can have their opinions. My thing is like, how would he know? I mean, I guess he could get this information, but how would he know that that was the type of plane, plane that this particular flight was going to fly? Okay, exactly. So that question is like a necessary question. So in the interviews with the, um, crew, uh, Tina, who was sitting next to him, for the vast majority of this whole thing, she asked him, why are you doing this? And he said, I don't have a grudge against your airline. I just have a grudge. And it's like, okay, like I feel it. I feel it. But he also said that it was just right place, right time. He didn't choose like Northwest on purpose. He didn't choose, but he knew this aircraft. He did know that that was the aircraft. So he intentionally chose that aircraft and apparently chose this timing on purpose, but not the, yeah um there's like little things uh like dan cooper is the name of a a pilot in a french comic book which again maybe that's something maybe it's not um it's possible so that comic wasn't circulated in the u.s but it was circulated in canada um where you know like our quebecois can enjoy the french comic books or whatever and you're in the Pacific North, you know, you're close to the Canadian border. Canadian accents can sound like American accents, yeah. you know, like, yeah. um, so there's a thought that maybe, but it, it maybe he's Canadian. Hmm. There's another element to that. There's like a little confounding thing because when the pilot, when Scott, uh, was listing his demands to the people on the ground, he said he wanted $200,000 in negotiable American currency, hmm. which, right, American currency is a weird thing for an American to say, yeah. but no one knows if that's, including the pilots, no one knows if that's what Cooper said. Gotcha. Or if that's just like, because you're playing telephone literally, right? Right, He's, literally. Cooper's talking to Tina. Tina's on the phone and then the pilot's on the phone. So... Maybe he's right. Canadian. Doesn't get us that much closer to anything, but... Um, maybe. Uh, maybe he's left-handed. <laughs> not that, again, not that <laughs> helpful, but maybe uh, his tie clip on his clip-on tie was... Um, put on from the left side. Okay. And when he showed um, Tina the the dynamite, the bomb, if it was a bomb, who knows? We'll never know, right? Um, he used his left hand for that. Hmm. So maybe he's left-handed. <laughs> right. uh, we don't know. Wow. We don't know, right? So now, more notes. <laughs> uh, suspects. Right. Because it's not like the FBI is going to go for decades and have no suspects. Right. Um, There's a few little pieces like uh, the FBI was pissed about this because this is to this day the only example of air piracy that's gone unsolved in U.S. history. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the (laughs) 
FBI really wanted this guy when they first, like the first charge or whatever was uh, air piracy, right? That was the first charge, right? Um, but that has a five-year statute of limitations because they always know who the guy is, right? They didn't need all this long statute of limitations, but obviously they were nowhere near solving it within that time. Right. So they went back to a grand jury and uh, got them to indict him for the violation of the Hobbs Act, which is basically like a like a totally different, I don't think, whatever, like a different crime that has no statute of limitations. Right. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, if they found him today, they could still charge him. Okay, so <laughs> who's the guy? Here are all these papers. These are a few theories, a few different people who they think it could have been. Uh, these are some people's favorites. So I'm going to try not to <laughs> go crazy with this, but it'll give you a sense of how weird the whole thing is, right? Just how bizarre and difficult, like how confounding this, it is trying to figure out who it was. Right. Um, so one that I think is, so uh, this, again, was big news. And like a lot of crimes that make it into the news, you get copycats, right? So with that in mind, uh, we've got our boy Richard McCoy, okay? Richard McCoy did like the same thing a year later. He like hijacked a plane with a grenade and, you know, he said uh, like same thing. He like grabbed the flight attendant, showed her a grenade, said no funny stuff, yeah. uh, gave it, used a note, took the note back. He uh, was a Vietnam War vet. Uh, he was like he he did the same thing. He had dark hair, dark hair, dark eyes, you know, whatever. So did the same thing. Same complexion, said no funny stuff, used no, right? So maybe our guy. Well, our boy is a Mormon student at Brigham Young University. Wow. Baby boy is a student and a Mormon. And he was, so he was way younger than the flight attendant thought he was. Right. And Tina spent a lot of time with him. She was sitting right next to him for a lot of time, right? So her opinion definitely matters, yeah. right? Uh, he was a student, so technically he would have been on break during Thanksgiving, but he was back with his family on Thanksgiving Day. Oh. So he would have really had to hustle. hustle right. um, yeah, he was like... That pretty much, I mean, the flight attendant's thinking it's not him, it obviously, is a major detractor from this theory. Yeah. Uh, he did go to jail for the second one, or the first one, whichever it was for him, right? He did go <laughs> to jail for that one. Um, he had a fun time being, like, mysterious about it when people would ask him if he was D.B. Cooper. He'd be like, I don't know, maybe, oh, but God. whatever. Right. Pro probs not, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're being mysterious, no. Right, just say it. Right. Just just be famous. Right. Just tell us where you had the money. Right. Richie. Come on. But um we, uh Dwayne Weber. Uh this guy <laughs> just told his wife he was DB Cooper <laughs> okay. on his deathbed. Okay. okay, so that's why he why he's a potential guy, potential um DB Cooper. Way to go out. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> he, after <laughs> he died, his wife, like, called the FBI and said, like, my husband says he's D.B. Cooper. And uh, she said, like, here's whatever. So what's the evidence besides him saying so? Um, he had a random bank bag that he kept. Hmm. He had just had a bank bag in the house forever. Uh, he had a knee injury that he said he got from jumping out of a plane. <laughs> okay. So not uh-huh. trying, not keeping it too long. Yeah. <laughs> right. He would have nightmares about leaving his fingerprints on the aft stairway. Okay. Which is very, very specific nightmare, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. He, uh, this he is the dead guy or Tina is this a separate guy? This is a second guy. He's dead. So we had Richard, who just did the same thing, but as a kid, a baby boy, going to bring him young. This is guy number two, who on his deathbed pulled his wife close and was like, I'm D.B. Cooper, and then died. Um, He had a bank bag, knee injury from jumping out of a plane, Um, nightmare about leaving fingerprints on the stairway, Uh, went to Tina Bar a year before the money was found. (laughs) Um, he was a World War II vet and he was 47 at the time of the hijacking, right? So maybe our guy, right? Maybe our guy. Um, his DNA and fingerprints did not match the ones that they found on the plane, but they don't know if any of the DNA and fingerprints that they collected were actually D.B. Cooper's, right? right? They they just are, they don't know. There's a very annoying thing that this brings up that, um, you know where you can get DNA from? Cigarette butts. Yeah. Right? But no one knew about DNA in 1971 and they lost the cigarette butts. Damn. So they're gone. They're probably somewhere. They're probably in some like file somewhere in like the (laughs) FBI. Right. with, With like the, I don't know with the Ten Commandments or whatever, but like the so maybe he's the guy, maybe. But unless we find those uh, cigarette butts, we're not going to find out. Right. Um, we got. Do we know if he had an alibi Kenneth. for the for for Thanksgiving? No, right? No, there isn't. It's it's apparently not because mm. his wife his wife was like pretty. I mean, I cannot imagine this. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, can you imagine no. what's a crime right. that's happened in our lifetime that Ty could like pull you close and be like, I did, I it. did it, and then die. <laughs> like, right? I don't even know. Like, like, right? Like, yeah. what's a comparable? Uh, right? What, like, that's not horrifyingly what been committed. Like a victimless crime. Right. This kind of a zany crime. Right. Um, I, yeah. I don't know, though. I don't know. But she, <laughs> she like, after he died, she, like, went and, like, kind of thought about it and was kind of like, oh, damn, maybe, you know, that explains right. this very weird, very specific nightmare. <laughs> right. But, um, we got, uh, Kenneth Christensen. I'm, mentioning him particularly because kenneth christensen is like our dear friends names put together yeah like our danish boys like that's their names put together love it um he was a paratrooper in world war ii he worked for northwest okay he was 45 at the time left-handed hey uh told his brother i have a 
it told his brother on his deathbed said i have a secret but i can't tell you and then died <laughs> wow so a lot another, of deathbed <laughs> secrets here apparently i it would be cruel i would never do this but wouldn't it be so funny to just pretend to have a secret on oh your my deathbed? god the best like just bring your kids around you and be like i, I killed kennedy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> um but that's uh hit florence the other flight attendant thought he looked like db cooper he looked at it and he was like yeah maybe um that's it that's the whole theory maybe wow <laughs> uh there's a few different ones there's like i don't know but to me i'm just gonna say this my favorite theory that I've never heard. I, I like usually this isn't included in like documentaries are made about it. I don't care. It's my favorite one. My favorite theory is that the crew made the whole thing up. Stop. That I'm pretty sure that's not true. I don't want to like slander them, but that wouldn't would that be, be so awesome? And they just like kept the money. Isn't, yeah, and just shut their mouths. Just like, yep. Yeah, I don't know, man. He's gone. <laughs> Oh my god! Just like chucked the stuff out. Right. That would be. Amazing. I highly doubt it. I, I would watch that movie. Yeah, like 100%. if someone just made a movie where that's, because like, damn girl. I feel like, like maybe. And then the fourth. Ah, uh, I was thinking maybe they would try it again, but that would be way too suspicious if the same people did that again. Like right. one that would be bad luck but our boy on the ethiopian airlines he got hijacked like four times yeah, he did so he really did <laughs> he really did but <laughs> For i don't real know hijack. this i this like there's like you know i mean you can finagle this idea of it being them like i love it if it was like just tina and florence and right. the poor like right. third flight attendant wasn't in on it right. and the pilots are like yeah i don't know but it's just <laughs> I don't know, man. You can't you can't say it didn't happen, right? right? right. Like maybe, right. maybe, right? Right. I mean, wow. I, I think it's cool. I, I think it's. I love. I love imagining yeah. the flight attendants just being like, like just I don't sticking know, just it to the man, ducking. Yeah, love it. Just like get your money, right? Yeah, love it. How many? There were six crew or five crew. Six crew, right? Three there and three. Six, there were six crew. Yeah, three and three. I was gonna say. Um, yeah. So I don't know if but that happened, it... and I don't want to slander. Right. These right. People, no. <laughs> I love. I love it. <laughs> I want it to be them. Right. I my money's yeah. on guy number two for sure. Yeah. Deathbed. I can see that. Wife guy. Deathbed guy. Yeah. Well, it's weird because it's like, there's not. I hope. I mean, stuff like this does happen where they find evidence that yeah. was lost, right? Yeah. That does happen. Somebody's going through like the old boxes or whatever and finds it, because um, it doesn't really take much to lose. I mean, anybody who's ever had a filing cabinet has like stuck the thing in like <laughs> the wrong file, right. you know oh, what yeah. I mean? So um, maybe they just got thrown out, but there's a lot of mysteries like this. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but like stuff like that, like losing evidence or like disposing of evidence yeah. comes up in so many of these things. And it comes up in like, we'll do Amelia Earhart at some point yeah. and it comes up there. Like, oh, yeah. but there's a lot of things. Cause if we just had his DNA, we could solve it. Right. You know right. what I mean? But Wow. But maybe we're spoiled by DNA. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody was, you know, this stuff just was unsolvable before DNA. So, right. But wow. that's DB Cooper. DB Cooper. 
Wow. Northwest 305, baby. I mean, I'm not mad at it. No, it's like a, it's, it's a zany crime. Yeah. I'm not mad at it for, I like, I'm not mad about it. No. No one really got hurt. No. No. The plane didn't even get hurt. No. Got a little bumped up when they landed and that's about it. That's fine. I mean, everyone got to go home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I don't know. It's weird that the money never circulated into a bank. Right. Right. Unless you're, I mean, I guess you're washing that money somehow. Send it in overseas or something. I don't know. That's what you'd have to do. Right. Like, well, he said he wanted to go to Mexico City. Right. So if he just like. Yeah got there somehow and then or like panama maybe right would have been a spot in 1970 or cuba yeah hey yeah. maybe went to cuba he's but living that money just fine <laughs> right. over there right yeah he's, he's living <laughs> yeah. the dream over in cuba right now right now yeah he's still I mean, alive he could still be alive he could still be alive yeah he would be well it depends because you don't know exactly how old he was right right so, right right yeah. well i guess if he, he was in his 40s he could be Right. He could be quite, quite elderly right. or, I mean, honestly, like if his life elderly. ended, right. If his, if his, if his life ended in like 2009, honestly, like good on you. Right. That's fine. Right. No COVID, none of that. No. Yeah. Right. But. Wow. But yeah. That's wild. Or maybe, and again, right. Maybe, maybe we'll find like a skeleton in a parachute someday right. in like the forest right, and they right? Were just off but it's about really that. weird the money on the beach is really weird yeah. and then not finding anything yeah the rubber bands me, i don't like that something's off about that the rubber bands are so weird because it right? was the actual the- rubber bands right not like yes. the extra rubber yes. bands someone just slipped on there. No, it was the rubber bands that they used like, at the how? at the bank. I don't know. There's got to be some that chemical one, something. So weird. Or if again, if your boy, like, if he let's find his name because like <laughs> Sorry, even rubber names. bands decay after a while. Right. Well, they decayed. They did studies on this like rubber band because they wanted the the FBI was trying to figure out what conditions it could have ended up like that. And like, no, those rubber bands decay if they're exposed to water right. and they're like in the elements, they rot because it's literal rubber. It's that's a so it's a natural fiber. Right. It, Dwayne Weber, that's your boy. Dwayne so, Weber. yeah, he did go there. He went to Tina Bar a year before. So if right. he just did that to like, I don't know, if he felt like I can't spend this money, right. anyway, I'm just going <laughs> to like, wow, but, that's wild. I mean, if you just do it for like love of the game, right. Or like, I don't know, use it to like pay kids to mow your lawn or whatever. Sure. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's what I mean, though. Like if you if they were doing that, it would certainly be circulated back in. Yeah. Somehow. I guess maybe not. I don't know. I guess what I don't know what percentage of money makes it makes its rounds. I mean, you would think almost all of it, though, right at some point, because if you if you spend money at a store, especially back then, at some point they deposit it. Right. 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 They'll deposit. Yeah, it. that's true. I don't know. Right. So. Wow. It's very weird. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It is. It's like one of the great, one of the great aviation mysteries. I love it. I'm putting that so, on my tombstone. I'm so excited. 
which uh, no funny am, stuff no, no, or yeah. <laughs> I am DB Cooper. Yes, even better. Just yes. nothing else. Yes. No. Nothing else. I'll do the job. Yeah. Right, nothing. nothing. Not your date nope, of birth, nothing. not your name, nothing. <laughs> nope. I am DB Cooper. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's not funny, but it's so funny to imagine doing stuff like that. Or like so somebody funny. like Well you I, was, I mean um, you uh, the classic catch me if you can i mean which you won't let us watch (laughs) which i've never watched in my entire life mariah guys listen i want this no i want this recorded for posterity mariah refuses to watch catch me if you can and it's like i refuse it's it's because it's casey's favorite movie movie and i refuse to watch it based on that merit it's a great movie i don't know if it's like that is actually that would be an amazing movie to watch as like a hangout yeah if we can figure out how to do it's it it's such a good movie we don't and it's planes oh, i love that movie it's planes yeah i love it's so yeah, sad it's everything. it is sad though i know Her heartbreaks for him. a lot of sad stuff and his parents he's just a scrappy lad yeah. and his yeah it's really sad his parents and it's Gosh. hard it's a happy ending but... though kind of I'll, I don't want to spoil the ending for anybody who hasn't seen it, but like, well, we'll, t- we'll discuss it on another yeah, day be- <laughs> if we have my, my feelings but, about the ending, but I will, I don't know. The problem is when I imagine doing a hangout, what I would like to do is just invite everyone over to my house yeah. to sit quietly and watch a movie yes. like in my living yes. room, but that's not actually what it is because it's all online, but we do want to do something mm-hmm. with you guys. Like we, we do, we're just <laughs> frazzled all the time. All the time. <laughs> constantly just frazzled people yeah just trying to survive in this (sighs) life trying i do want to say so the last episode we uh you know we insulted almost everybody (laughs) and everyone's been nice about it so thank you but um i noticed when i was looking at our analytics um we have more british listeners than (laughs) canadian listeners now right more british than canadian listeners and wow right and i was like wow okay okay is that because british people don't mind being insulted by their friends (laughs) or was it just a bridge too far with like david's just sharing our podcast all over oh david i know we owe it all to david truly (laughs) it's a real quick fact and we may have even talked about it before but JetBlue has had zero deaths related to plane crashes and yes they are a fairly young airline what like i think Mm -hmm. i was reading 20 years old or something like that but Mm -hmm. no crashes that have led to deaths and i don't even think i couldn't even find like crash information um on at all for jeff no like there were maybe one or two that were like possibilities but it it I didn't read too much into it. It wasn't like a serious crash and no deaths for sure. That, that part is true. Um, and what made me think of it is because our lovely Christine and her lovely cousin Glenda are Uh listeners and they are flying on a plane Mm -hmm. right now. Um, they are both terrified of flying, but still listen to this podcast because (laughs) you know, love and support. Um, yes, and I was like, I don't think JetBlue. I've we've never done a JetBlue uh, crash, no, and so I looked it up, not. and they haven't. No. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, good. 
It is. I it was, is. I mean, it shows, like you said, I mean, yeah. it's a young airline, so it shows right. how safe aviation yeah. is now. But I, I was yeah. saying, too, I was telling um, Christine that you always said how well JetBlue had treated their employees. Like, a lot of people were jealous at the airport about how well JetBlue was. Oh, yeah. And, like, how nice it was working for Major. JetBlue. I mean, it's still airline, airport, yeah. you know, bullshit. That's very difficult. But if your employer is not a total yeah, monster... Right. Right. They don't do the like contract system. Yeah. Like anybody, like if you interact with an employee when you're flying on JetBlue, they worked for JetBlue. Right. They don't do all of that like contract nonsense. They, um, they, they have a lot of things. I, I think that, I mean, they're, they're a smaller airline, right? right. Like they're not trying to compete with, um, at that, you know, international level yeah. with like American and Delta and that. Um, but if you, do that if you like stay in your lane and just do that really really well then yeah you can treat your employees better you can have you know no plane crashes which is great when you're an airline um yeah yeah that's good yeah that's good i they guys i know i know i know (laughs) but you don't have to be afraid of flying no you don't (laughs) you don't that's what that's what we were talking about how many flights happen a day and then, and then Glenda said, like a million, "Yeah, there's so many. There's always the first. Oh no, <laughs> Glenda, Glenda, girl, no, Come on. no, you're okay. Sometimes there isn't a first, right? Because there are plenty of airlines that have like opened and closed, like started up and ended operations that are having a crash. <laughs> right, right. So sometimes there's no first because the airline closes. But yeah, JetBlue's a safe bet. Yeah, uh, JetBlue's a safe yeah. bet. And yeah, flying everybody. Everybody is a safe JetBlue bet. I don't want to does... say everybody. I mean, with Frontier out here." <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, Steve, talking of our friends, Steve sent us uh, the thing about um, the Frontier Spirit Airlines merger, yes. which like, I mean, horrifying, horrifying. I know. Well, what I what I what I told Steve was like, yeah, okay, like it'll be cheaper to fly from <laughs> Miami to Denver. Right. That's nice, I guess. But like, yeah, snowboarding um, to beach. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's always nice. Like in Rocket Power. Right, exactly. So I don't where they lived. Where did they live? <laughs> in the future, they live where did now. They live? they live and they are right. <laughs> the heirs of Spirit Frontier Air. Amazing. Good job. But <laughs> uh, so that is, yeah, that's wow. the very like thrilling adventure of uh, DB Cooper, Northwest Amazing. Airlines. Um, they merged with Delta in 08 and um, yeah. the Northwest employees are all still bummed about it yeah. because Northwest treated their people a lot better than Delta. But um, yeah, yeah. Northwest, that was a whole weird thing. That's not what this story is about. So um, yeah, that's the story. There's, I mean, anybody who's really familiar with this story knows that there's like a bunch of stuff that we didn't even get to, but can only cover so much because it is so... I mean, we've got, we've had 50 years to try to figure it out and haven't. Right, so, right. Yeah. So hope you're out there, D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Hope someone is listening to this and they're like, that's my grandpa and I <laughs> yeah. just have his money under my bed. Yep. And it's like, yeah, you do that. That's amazing. Girl. Oh, I love you so I much, Maya. Thanks for sharing that I'm story. So bad. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Yeah. I love you. I love you. Love you all. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Podcrashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. 
Uh, sorry about the audio on this one. I did forget to make sure that my mic was on the right setting. Thank you for being gracious if you made it this far. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok. We so appreciate you guys listening. We are, I promise, I swear, we're going back to weekly uploads. We do have a couple in the can. This one took longer to edit because I messed up the audio, but it is happening. We're going back to weekly episodes. I promise we're going to get more content to you in general uh, in the form of a second podcast, which we're working on now. And uh, yeah, we love you. Talk to you soon. See you next week. I swear. Next week. Promise. Triple promise. All right. Thanks for listening. Mm